Outlet Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Hello and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio. My name is Sam Hales. I'm the editor of Premier Christianity magazine. That is the UK's leading Christian magazine. And each month we feature interviews just like the one you're about to hear. We publish reviews, features and so much more. We've got some fantastic regular columnists for you as well, including Jeff Lucas, Chinny McDonald and Ren Collective's Chris Llewellyn. So for all that great content and more, why not check out one of our subscription offers? You can get the magazine for as little as £3.95 an issue right now at premierchristianity.com. You have joined us this afternoon on Premier Christian Radio for a special edition of The Profile because we're speaking today to the man the BBC described as a drug dealer turned lifesaver during COVID. At the height of the pandemic in 2020, millions of people watched Pastor Mick Fleming feed and clothe the poor in Burnley. Pastor Mick Fleming's appearance on BBC News resulted in more than £250,000 worth of donations from people across the nation, not just Christians, who were inspired by Pastor Mick's generosity and determination to help all those in need at the height of the COVID pandemic. Pastor Mick's testimony was printed on the BBC News website and his incredible stories of ministering not just to, but ministering with some of the most deprived communities in the North West has received national attention. So this week, Premier Christianity's Deputy Editor, Megan Cornwell, spoke to Mick, who heads up the Church on the Street Ministries. And Megan wanted to hear the stories of the homeless and addicted being helped the story of Pastor Mick and how he was able to forgive the man who abused him. She wanted to hear all the stories of what God is doing through his ministry. And today, you will hear those stories in Mick's own words. You'll also hear how he's coped with criticism, including criticism from other Christians. And you'll also discover how he's managed to avoid feeling burnt out and overwhelmed by the depth of the need in his local area. What keeps him going? What keeps him motivated? You'll find out today. But before we begin, this interview does contain a reference to abuse, and so listener discretion is advised. And if you are affected by any of the themes raised in this interview, you can call Premier Lifeline, the National Christian Helpline, on 0300 111 That's 0300 111 the interview you're about to hear was originally recorded as part of research for a future feature in Premier Christianity magazine, but it was so good, we wanted you to hear it now rather than to wait. And so the quality of the audio recording is slightly diminished from what you may be used to, but we believe Pastor Mick's story is worth hearing and will bless you today. Megan Cornwell started by asking Pastor Mick what the needs are in his part of Burnley. Well, it's, it's a mixture, really. So we have, uh, there's people from the addicted community, homeless community, uh, uh, families who are just poor. Uh, we have uh, older people. Uh, so the age groups uh, really vary from teenagers to old age pensioners. Uh, so it's, uh, I would say, 
it's a deprived community, uh, but a community that comes together to help, to lift each other up. So the need is great, uh, but we hold each other, we hold each other up. So mm. theologically, it's the perfect church for me. The money side doesn't matter. The, it's, it's people that have sharing with the have-nots on an equal basis. And, and uh, that makes it kind of almost like the Book of Acts. It, it kind of uh, blows my mind sometimes when we kind of see how it works. But uh, it's very scriptural, I think, but not by design, but just by going out. And, and that's what gets created around you. It seems to be scripture coming to life, really. That's amazing. It's funny you say that because I was just thinking to myself the other day, I live in quite a well-off area and I was just thinking to myself, what would it look like if we were that kind of church? If, if you know, when it talks about that idea of having everything in common. So we have people who are very wealthy that come here as well, uh, but we don't take money off anybody. So we do a, a collection on Sunday which doesn't get much because it's not a wealthy, wealthy church, even though we have a lot of, you know, we have a few people who are wealthy, don't get me wrong. But so we do hot food every day. We're open seven days a week. We have a clothes bank. We have showers. We have a food bank. Uh, we have mental health workers with the NHS work with us. Drug and alcohol services work out of our building. An NHS doctor. We have all that stuff. We have our own paid staff we have uh, uh, a counsellor mental health counsellor as well that we pay uh, nowhere that you can come in and put your money in so what happens is the bacon sandwiches the hot meals every day are all free the coffee endless tea coffee hot chocolate out of a machine is all free the showers are free the counsellor is free the washers and the dryers are free. So people come and sit down and the homeless guy can buy the pilot a brew. And that's what he does. And that's how we do it. We don't take money. We don't want money. We want that dynamic. We trust God. So we'll, if we've no money for the food bank, we don't advertise on Facebook with no food. What we do is clear the shelves and pray and watch them get filled back up. That's how we do it, and it works. And that's, that's the principle that we're building everything on, everything that we do, and, and that's how we do it, and that's what works, and that's that's why we see so many miraculous things, miracles every day. Do you want to share some, do you want to give me just one example of some of the miracles you're talking about? Blimey, I could go on and on, really. I mean, it's like, uh, I mean, one would be the, uh, so what, last week with no food, uh, so let's push everything to one side and pray. And there's people saying, oh, what are we going to do? We know you have to go and buy it. You have to do this. We'll have to do that. We'll have to do that. So just push the food we've got together. Pushed it all together and I just went in and just said, Lord, fill the shelves in Jesus' name. Amen. And we in five minutes had a phone call and a guy came up from London with two grand's worth of food for us. Drove all the way up from London and put it back on the shelves. Phil, that's that's one. Uh, we had a guy come in, and uh, he come in to see me. He's quite poorly. Uh, he has got some mental health issues, and he just he answered his mum for years and years and years. And he come and sat in my office, and he just cried and cried and cried. I said, "Look, what is it you need?" He said, "Oh, it's impossible." I said, "No, nothing's impossible." I'll ask Jesus. You tell me what you need, and I'll ask him. 
I said, and he'll give it. I know he will. He said, I haven't seen my mum for years. I just want to see my mum. I want to put my arms around my mum. So I said, well, that's okay. I said, I'll just ask Jesus now. So I put my arms around him and I prayed for him. I said, Lord, just send his mum. Just let him put his arms around her. In Jesus' name, Lord, we know that's done. That love that you've got, just send her. And I walked out of the office to get him a brew. And there's a lady stood at reception. And she said, have you seen my son? I said, what's your son called? So he told me, I said, yeah, he's in my office. She said, she's never been before. She doesn't know anything about us. She said, I had a dream last night to come here and I'd find him here. And I thought, wow, regardless of my prayer, God had already done the work before I'd asked. And she walked in and I fetched him into the office and he broke down, started crying his eyes out. They put their arms around each other and he said, how did you know? How could you do that? How did it? What's that? I said, I didn't. It's Jesus. Oh, I could go on and on and on and on and on. It's a daily, it's a daily thing, you know. But it's not by our choice. We're not sort of saying, right, we are going to be supernatural. Yeah. What we're saying is that we're going to trust God. So we don't ask people for stuff or things. We ask God because if tomorrow I'm back outside on my own, outside McDonald's, we're a few flasks and a packet of fags, that's all right as well. Because <laughs> that's going to so be all right as well. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It doesn't matter. We're not trying to gain anything. We're just trying to follow God, follow the Spirit of God, and yeah. then go first and we'll follow. So, yeah. Just yeah, sounds yeah. amazing. It is. It, it truly is. Yeah. So we've had a conversation today. So, so we'll get some people in the church. We're not discipling enough, and we're not doing that. We're not yeah. doing that. What does discipleship look like then? And the thinking in old systematic ways, and I said, that has to change. I said, because I see loads of discipleship. I said, because I let them disciple me. I said, the problem is you think you're going to stand above them and disciple them and tell them what, what and how they should believe. I said, instead of letting them tell you where they're at and, yeah. and digest in that. And I'm discipling so many people because they're discipling me. It's a yeah. two-way street, and that's yeah. what kind of gets missed. So, but it, 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 I won't allow that. I don't allow, we're not going to do a course and sit down and tell people what they should and shouldn't be doing because it won't work for our guys because they, they've been told and preached to all their life. Yeah. They need love, okay, and they need to be met where they're at because they've so much to give, and uh, and that's what we that's what we do. You know, we kind of, but it's hard to, to break the thinking in, in some of the mature Christians, whereas they've done this, no, we've always done it like that, have you? Well, you're not doing it here. If you don't like it, go to another church. I don't actually mind. In fact, I don't care whether you go to another church or not because the people that need to be here will, will be the right ones because they're suffering, they're dying, and we yeah. want to minister to the dying, you know, give them yeah. a chance to live. It is breaking the mold, but it's, it's more, uh, I think, a bit more like first century Christianity, if I dare say that. Yeah. So, in respect of, we believe what the Bible says. So I don't mean, oh, if 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 you're gay, you can't come in and you you're naughty and evil. I mean, we believe what it says, as in love one another, care for one another, welcome everyone into that community, show the love and compassion of Jesus, and let Him do the rest. You know, I don't need to say you can and can't come in, and I need to love them and care for them, and God will point that out to them and, and do the change in. I just love them in it and, and change myself with my interaction with them. Yeah. And that's the basis that we're doing. We're not looking at right and wrong. We're looking at Jesus Christ. 
ill thought that way in the individual one I saw. That's yeah. what we're trying to do anyway. Mick, can you explain some of the ways in which the pandemic has negatively affected your community? Yeah, so it's, it's drove the, uh, the community deeper into poverty. So at the first, it was, it was about distribution of food, really. So it was about getting stuff out there because people couldn't get things. Uh, so we tackled that. So we were just running right. I was personally running around like a lunatic, kind of uh, getting food parcels out in a van and da, 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 working silly hours. But I knew that weren't sustainable. Uh, so we needed a structure to be built and kind of around that. So it wasn't the lack of money. It was the lack of getting the resource to where it needed to be initially. Uh, but what happened with the pandemic, everybody withdrew. So the first four, six, eight, 12 weeks, all the organisations that had been working on the ground and doing stuff, the churches and secular organisations completely disappeared and there was nothing. So that's when we stepped up. I went out and stepped up and I, I kind of split the town into... Uh, areas and I'd get hot food and, and food wrapped leave it in these areas and put it out on social media and through word of mouth that there'll be food in certain places at certain times uh, and went from that uh, and then also uh, what we started to see was uh, people weren't lacking money because they couldn't spend it they, was, they were struggling to spend it but what started to happen was we started to see uh, alcoholism uh, increase, uh, go through the roof, especially in the middle classes. So we started to see uh, middle class people needing our help because we work specifically around many different areas, but we're very successful around addiction, getting people out of addiction um, really highly. You know, we kind of are outcomes are really high, far higher than the drug and alcohol services and things like that, uh, or any Christian organisation that I know of, the, the really high success rates. Uh, so we started to see more and more middle-class people uh, falling in, crossing this invisible line into alcoholism. Then we've seen the surge in drugs. So certain drugs were very difficult to get into the area because of county lines and things like that. But it was like travelling it was, was more more difficult. So you weren't seeing the drugs landing like they used to. So other drugs that were more local started to take us with more spice now. So the type of drugs have changed in the pandemic. So we're seeing spice epidemics. Uh, we're seeing uh, more people growing cannabis, growing their own cannabis and more cannabis farms. So it's kind of more localised. Uh, that's gone through the roof. Uh, and the big one, the real big one, is the mental health. So people's mental health have spiralled out of control uh, for many, many different reasons. Uh, it's probably all of the above that I've, that I've spoke about, but uh, uh, we're seeing far, far more suicides. So we do a lot of funerals and things like that, well, I do. Uh, so a lot of people taking their own lives. How many would you say, roughly, like, would you have an idea kind of... A year ago in Burnley, in the pandemic, if you lived in Burnley, and these are tried and tested figures because the BBC got the statistics from Manchester University, 
So I had contacted the BBC saying, uh, I'm falling over the bodies here. Something's really bad, something's happening. And it wasn't uh, COVID deaths. It was death. And uh, I'm doing funerals and I could see the the undertakers were having to hire extra cars in and stuff. And I thought, I've never seen all like this. So anyway, it turns out, so these were the, all the statistics for a year ago. If you lived in Burnley, you were 60% more likely to die than anywhere else in the country. So that tells you there's a direct link between death and poverty. So and that's not just of COVID, that's just dying no, that's in general. That's deaths. Deaths per se were 60% higher in Burnley than anywhere else in the country. So on the back of that, you see the church has developed into, we have professional mental health workers, so we've got counsellors, so we've got the NHS partnering with, with us. So... And also, we're I'm evangelizing in respect of how we do what we do in the way I've told you to all the secular organizations that come in. So I'm not compromising. If they want to come in here, they have to fit in with us, not the other way around. Yes. So the, the conversation is with the NHS is don't worry if I just go into spontaneous prayer anytime because I will. And if I do, don't don't take it personally. It's up to you. But it's it's kind of so what we're saying is we'll work with you but you have to work you're working in our building we're a church we're not compromising and it's working really well it's working really well because the outcomes are far better because uh you've got the physical stuff that the nhs are doing but we've got the spiritual support that yeah. goes with all that so it complements it so people get yeah. extra care and extra help so therefore the outcomes are going to be far better was that something you were doing, Mick, before the pandemic, working with the with the mental health teams, or was this is this a new a new development? Uh, well, yeah. So working with the mental health teams is a new development. Okay. It's because it's come from the need. So what we were doing was we were trying to uh, we would be constantly trying to get people into the crisis teams and making phone calls and stuff, and we were going nowhere, just like everybody else. But yeah. now we've got them in here. So we, we take that, the, we get everything that we do, I'm looking for fast response. So I'm not looking for six months down the line. I'm looking for crisis response in everything we do, whether that's food, showers, clothing, food bank, hot food, mental health, counselling. Don't have to wait. You're going to get it now as quick as possible. So that's the agenda I have. Uh, yeah. in the church and that's a church so the church looks different to any church you'll see anywhere in the world to be honest with you but my job is to make to keep it a church so how I justify that and how I hold that together is if you can imagine that the monasteries were invented tomorrow just invented a monastery tomorrow it'd look like this church that's what it'd look like apart from the sleepings so the educational stuff the physical stuff you know that having a wash getting the medical care that you need getting the food you know being nursed back to health helping people with addiction and drink and drugs and all the things that a monastery would have done that's what we do and, and right through the center of it is christ and yeah. uh, and the beauty the even well, the the thing that's even better than that is that the secular organizations come to us and we give them the gospel message in the work that we're doing. So so they get affected by the gospel as well. So it's a win-win. And uh, if they want to interact with the people that they're getting funding for, this is drug and alcohol services, probation, they have to come to us. 
Mm. You don't have any choice, so they have to come to us, and we we are not prepared to compromise on our faith. You know, we don't. I don't. There's no good feeling preaching. There's no. It's just plain and simple. The gospel of Jesus Christ you can be separated from your sin because you're you're written off, and I'm going to tell you what you are. And the truth is, you can get a great joy out of it, and you're going to be set free from your sin. I've got a story to tell you. Come and listen to me. And it's the same story every week, just told in different ways. Tell me about your role as the minister and how it's changed over the pandemic, Nick. When you said you were running around like a headless chicken trying to get food to people, what what did your working day look like before the pandemic and after? So before the pandemic, yeah, I'd, I'd set the ministry up and I, w- I was working part-time. So I was working... Uh, kind of at a university, a Christian university, two days a week, uh, and then the ministry five days a week, uh, to obviously to st- sustain myself financially, really, to be honest with you. I was trying to get the ministry going. Once the pandemic hit, the hours were well, doing 18 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, for probably six to 12 months. Uh, but what happened as I was doing it, uh, I knew that it weren't sustainable as I were doing it, but I were building a ministry and a church within it. So I was, when the church is shut, I was preaching on car parks, or preaching under bridges, or preaching on Tesco's car park. I, I, the police come and, and swooped and tried to arrest me, uh, but I had food provision at the, at the church meeting, so they couldn't arrest me because I'd done my job. I was, you couldn't stop food supply during a pandemic so we're preaching with bags of shopping in in the back of the van and giving them out at the end of the service so I knew what I was doing and I was protected so they couldn't arrest me and you know he started to grow uh uh we I didn't break any laws I followed every single rule it was building a ministry uh, by default almost by the nature of the sadness of what was happening the, the, there was amazing things happening you know we're seeing uh God instances just arising all the time and support and people wanting to get alongside. So I went from a a, a church. We had a, our church was in. Uh, I set the church up with twenty quid because we could like get. Uh, we hired a uh, community centre and it was twenty quid to hire it on a Sunday. So that's where we used to do it. But then the pandemic hits. And we could only have 12 people in the space or something instead of like 50 or whatever it were then. Uh, so we had to be outside anyway. So we were working outside. We had no building. Uh, and we were just constantly preaching on on car parks on a Sunday and, and then having to move from car park to car park because the law changed. It was uh, If it was a private car park, I could do it. If it was a public car park, I couldn't do it. So I had to sit in with the law. So... So we'd move around uh, to different places and and what have you, but we never stopped. You know, that's we never stopped. And, and the whole idea was the combination of uh, the physical support and the spiritual support and, and 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 a definite balance of both. You know, being very very important. So we got lots of people with lots of need coming to us, and then hearing the gospel, and and the life starting to get changed. So we started to see profound changes in people, and uh, especially around addiction and things like that. Started to see so many people coming and asking questions. So, uh, 
Yeah, and then so then we then we find a building. So what so what happened with the building was that uh, I couldn't find a building that was big enough that I could afford. So I decided to look at buildings that I couldn't afford. So that's what I did. I made appointments to look at buildings that I could not afford, and I could nowhere near afford. I thought it'll have to be at least double the amount that we can afford. So that way I'll know it's God. Because so, uh, nobody's going to take So I went to look at somewhere that was, the building we have now, I think it was £60,000 a year rent, and I had 20. So I thought, that's fine. If, I've got, if I can get it for 20, it's God. So I bid, and I got it, and I got it for 20. And, uh, and that's the building that we work out of now. So it was looking at the impossible, because I knew God could do it. So we got the space that we needed and the facility that we needed and the money we could afford. Uh, yeah. So I don't look at what's possible or what you should be doing. You can't go there and you can't ask him and you can't do that and you can't do that. Well, no, you can. You have to ask God. Of course you can. You can do anything. God can do anything. So that's what <laughs> we did. So that's how we got the building we've got now. Uh, so we were able to... Uh, during the pandemic, they start to get this place uh, fit for purpose that, that, that it's doing now, the work that we wanted it to do. So, yeah. and I think because of the BBC, we've got, we got uh, people still stop. Never asked anybody for money. Because we ended up on the BBC because they'd seen me selling some, uh, they saw me on Facebook selling, uh, they were like, uh, somebody donated some women's creams, like face creams and stuff. So I was like, I'm a bit like a bit of a Dell boy, really. That's what I was always. So I'd have plastic bags and I'm putting them in. I don't want a 10. I don't want to. And I sold them on Fiverr for, uh, I set this thing up called Sax Appeal. And it's, uh, <laughs> no, see what I did there. It was shoes and coats for kids. So we needed, when we went back to school, we needed new shoes and coats for kids. So I called it Sax Appeal, you know, shoes and coats for kids. And the BBC saw me doing this and uh, and they came and they followed us and, and, and we got the support out of that and that allowed us to do this building up. So I thought it would have been a five or ten year plan to get this building to where yeah. it is now. And we did it within like six months, really, because we had the money. So that, that was a pretty much a miracle, really. Do you feel inner conflict between truth and lies, the way of Christianity and the way of the world? If so, it's time to live no lies. With huge spiritual insight, New York Times bestseller John Mark Comer guides us into recognizing and resisting the lies that rob us of peace and freedom. Live No Lies, yours free when you take out an annual subscription to Premier Christianity magazine. Subscribe at premierchristianity.com. Can you tell me about a bit about some a bit more about some of the challenges that you've faced, Mick, in terms of your workload? Um, challenges that you've had during the pandemic, you know, dealing with. Have you have you felt burdened at times in terms of the need and in terms of the the expectations on you as the leader? Uh, yeah, I think that uh, the wow, it's tough to say, but the the, all the biggest critics have been all the Christians, really, uh, and uh, they're the ones that really that have really tried to pull me down really uh, I find it really sad really it still upsets me now so it's been uh, the being called a social worker not really a Christian uh, blah 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 because you're just doing good stuff but that's 
not the case. I'm, I'm driven by my faith, not from anything else. Uh, you know, I'm not Bible-centred, which I am. You know, I don't do anything with that. So I've had a lot of uh, Christians and churches, uh, high-profile churches as well, uh, kind of really, really criticise me personally. Uh, in emails and on, on social yeah, media? Yeah, social media and even through emails and things like that, questioning my faith and all sorts of stuff. But from Christians, you know, so that was hard at first because I thought, I'm just trying to do what God's called me to do. I don't understand. Uh, but now it's not hard anymore. It's, it's for me, it's, it's a different theology that they're following. The, my theology is a lot different. So I, I call my theology two cup of coffee theology and, that's, that's how it is. It's like, you know, don't buy someone a cup of coffee that's sat outside begging and walk away and think you've done something good. Buy two and sit down with them and get alongside them. Uh, and it's the act of giving and receiving at the same time and talking about Jesus in that transaction that yeah. is everything. It's everything. Yeah. And, you know, the people that do criticise and stuff like that, they don't, maybe they don't understand my theology or how I see God because I, I believe what the Bible says. You know, when I was hungry, you fed me. I don't think that's just something that you can cop out of. I think that's real and truthful. And like in Galatians 2, you know, when Paul says, went up to Jerusalem and the apostles said, and don't forget the poor. You know, I think it's integral, absolutely integral to the to the gospel. Um, and, it's, and it's the good news for the poor because it makes me know I'm poor, my own need for God. And that's what gets missed. And I think the people that's criticised us and stuff, they don't understand their own need for God. You know, I haven't, I've only been ordained for two years and I've only been a, I haven't been a Christian that long on the scale of things. Uh, I'd only just finished my theology degree, to be honest with you. And uh, I thought that... Uh, all Christians had this love thing inside them that I felt were inside me. And when I find out they didn't, I kind of, I was mm. a bit devastated really. But so it took me, because I came late to faith, you see. So it's took me a long time to understand that, of course, we're all we're all sinful and, and we all need each other and, and it's how we come together. So I'm so used to being criticised. I've never been as loved as much and hated as much as this year, this last year. Yeah. Um, Wow. So, so that has been the, the hardest part. It's been, it's not, it's had the opposite effect really, because the more that's happened, the more God's lifted me up, and and the higher profile I've become is not because of anything I've done. It's what God's doing. That you know, there's this kind of raised that profile. I haven't tried to do anything. I just do my job. It just reminds me of that story in the Bible. I've always been touched by this story where um, I think it's the sinful woman and Jesus says, you know, those who have been forgiven much, love much. And um, I often think that with with my own life and others, I I feel that people who have cut, who've done some bad things, who've been there and, you know, the kind of maybe they feel more love than God gives that to them because because they've been forgiven a lot of sins. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. I think that's true, and I, I definitely feel like that. It allows you to accept the grace that that God wants you to have. I helped this drug addict, uh, sorry, this alcoholic, 
find him in McDonald's years ago and they were drunk and I helped him to get sober and he he, uh, he got his family back and he got his life back. He came to know Jesus and everything. And uh, he died two years later, but sober. And uh, I never told him and he didn't know, but he was the man that raped me when I was 11. <sighs> it changed my life. I got such a pace. I'm no longer a victim. Mm. I'm forgiven. And I'm free. And why should I live in his sin? He didn't belong to me. And it's that that's transformed my life. Wow. That's stuff that sort of, sort of drives the ministry that we do. So, uh, yeah, the criticism and getting hammered for you feel like you haven't done anything wrong. That was that was a hard part in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, the long hours weren't too bad. The deaths have took a toll on me. Uh, yeah. So many deaths because I got to know the people personally, especially the suicides. And then, you know, and have people ringing you up, leaving messages on your phone and saying, if you don't answer your phone, I'm going to kill myself. And, and they haven't answered my phone and they kill themselves. Uh, I don't feel guilt at all because uh, I know I can't do anything about it. And I know I'm not God. Uh, but it had, a, it has had a big effect on me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's allowed me to... Uh, I think I've been able to cry with the poor, not for them. Yeah. I've been able to cry with them. So although it's had an effect, it's it's almost had a healing effect in respect of, you know, we, and, and I've thought that if, you know, like church leaders and also politicians and stuff could cry with the poor, I thought, imagine what the world could be like. You know, you kind of want to change. But I've managed to do that. I haven't cried for them. I've been able to cry with them. And I feel that I've been going through a lot of healing in the, in that. But it's been hard. The healing's been hard. But it's been God ministering to me as well. So we cry together and we cry with the families and we support the families and everything else. Uh, uh, but it's been very healing as well. So that's that's been really the healing's been painful, I would say, you know. But uh, that that's been quite hard, um, and then seeing, you know, hungry children, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, that were hard. Uh, and the big one still is when I see old age pensioners that don't have gas and electric and stuff, and uh, that kind of hits you a little bit as well, you know, them kind of things. So seeing poverty. Uh, in all its rawness, even to even in death, uh, does have an effect on you. You know, but yeah. we cry with God. There's a healing that can come from it, and you've got, but you've got to allow that healing in. You can't yeah. pretend you're all right when you're not. You've got to cry when you cry, and uh, that's a gift. I've been given a gift, so it's not a burden, you know, and that's why I stay sane. You know, I stay sane and I stay grounded and I stay rounded is because I can cry with the poor. I can cry when I need to cry. Yeah. I can laugh when I need to laugh, you know. And it's really important that you don't pretend everything's all right when it's not. Yeah. I, don't, I don't pretend it's all right when I'm not. I'm having a tough week, do you know what I mean? And I've really struggled this week. I've had a few death threats and things like that and and what have you, uh, because there's some people who are mentally ill and things, and they see, see you on TV and 
stuff and you know and it, it's like you know so it, it make, it's made me feel anxious and a bit more kind of careful about what I'm doing but still yeah. say God but I don't pretend that everything's all right I just get somebody to watch me back for a couple of weeks and, and be careful where I go and yeah. you know and, and I'm all right you know you kind of I've not chose to get any kind of profile or anything. I've just kind of been given a voice to do it, but uh, it comes with a responsibility as well to look after myself. So much is shallow these days. Pictures, but not words. Texts that seem impersonal. Tweets rather than conversation. It can leave us all feeling rather empty. At Premier Christianity, we go deeper to bring you a thought-provoking and credible mix of theological articles, biblical interpretation, interviews, debates, and trends. Premier Christianity, online, in print, in depth. Subscribe today at premierchristianity.com. I've not chose to get any kind of profile or anything. I've just kind of been given a voice to do it, but uh, it comes with a responsibility as well to look after myself. In all of this, Mick, it sounds like you've been dealing with an awful lot, what for most people would crush them. Do you, do you feel that you have ever come to that point or your or colleagues that you work with or other ministers? Have, do you, have you been talking about feeling like you're at the point of burnout or uh, is that something that resonates with you? No, for me, it's, I get so much joy from seeing the good stuff. So seeing, remember the kind of what I said, well, kind of what I said to you, we have genuinely seen miracle after miracle. And and, and I mean real miracles like uh, healing stuff and all sorts of stuff that I didn't actually, when I came, became a Christian, I don't think I believed in them. But, but I've had to see them to believe them, really. A bit like, you know, Thomas. He, he's, I've seen the miracle after miracle. So burnout's not been uh, something... Um, what's happened is that as uh, the ministry's grown, we've employed people. So I've give, created 10 jobs. So paid jobs for people and then voluntary work and things. So I've, I've, I'm probably doing less now than I, I were before because that's the right thing to do because we're bigger and we're more structured and more organised. And there's people also that do things better than me in certain areas. And I want the best for the people that we're ministering to. So there's people better than me that can do it and they're around. Listen, go and do it. You know what I mean? And and, and I think that I've been tired, I think was the, the term I'd use, where uh, I'd almost go against myself and not rest. Um, but in the end, I kind of... I need the Sabbath, mate. So it's that that pulled me back. So, and the Sabbath for me isn't Sunday. It's taking a day out to, to spend time with God. And uh, I was neglecting that uh, for a long time. And I've come back to to that now where I have to respect the Sabbath, you know. And that's had a, that's been great. I've got refreshment from it. And just taking that time out, uh, uh yeah, so I think I was tired and I could have got physically burnt out. Uh, but at that point, I, I decided to grasp the Sabbath and the meaning of what I thought the Sabbath was, which is, you know, giving the time to God. 
any other advice for sort of pastors who, who are maybe reaching that point of burnout? Over this last uh, two years, really, I've, uh, I've become more brutally honest, I would say. So I, uh, I imagine myself with a TV screen on top of my head and everybody can see everything I'm thinking. And I want that. I'm not scared of that. I, I pray for that to become more authentic and the behind nothing. And, and it's that. So, so when you're so busy and you, you can end up full of fear and resentment for the people you're trying to help and because yeah. you're doing what you think they should be doing and all that rubbish. And, you know, I kind of start to I see myself as uh, getting a, you know, if I pray and I close my eyes, I can see myself as, as clear glass and that uh, you can see all the muck inside me. But I want to become completely clear and completely authentic. So I don't hide anything anymore. Do you know, if I feel like, listen, like I'll preach on a Sunday and say I walk around Tesco's and I felt like punching that old fella in face in front of me because he would do me head in. And I'm, you know, the leader of the church and stuff like that. I don't hide anything. I, I don't kind of, you know, uh, I tell the truth, you know, and, and, and I put it right out there because it gives people permission to be who they really are, because that keeps you well. That yeah. keeps you really well, but it keeps you right with God as well. Yeah. I find that most ministers and leaders, they won't do that. Yeah. They won't hide about the character and the flaws. They hide. I don't want to hide my flaws. I want them out there. Do you know what I mean? I know what I'm like, and I want it out there, because I don't want to hold on to the sin that's in me. I want to give it to God. And the only way I can do that is to show you what it is you know, to show you where I'm weak in, in, in these areas. And that has been a great strength for me. It's been a great strength and it takes, I don't have any anxiety, I don't have any fear. It completely takes it away because if someone's going to say something about me, I've already said it first. I've already done it. I've already, everybody knows that I'm not perfect or I'm not, it did, 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 and I've, I have yeah. problems, you know, and, I have problems like everybody else. My wife had cancer going through this and my ex-wife died of cancer. Uh, and I can go on and on and on. I've been married three times. My first wife uh, got schizophrenia and left me with three children uh, when she was 30. My second wife, I had another child. She died of cancer. Got married again. Uh, she's, she's recovering from cancer. She helps me in the ministry. So I kind of know how to cope. I'm a recovering drug addict. I'm recovering from abuse. Do you know what I mean? I, I know how to. I know how to live my life for God. Do you know what I mean? Because I've been through enough, and uh, and I don't need to pretend I'm all right anymore. And that's what we need. Leaders need to stop pretending they're all right or, or they're not flawed, and chuck the flaws out there. And people respect you a lot more. That's given me great strength, and he stopped me burning out, and he stopped. He's helped my mental health. You know, because I've been, uh, when, I, when I got clean off drugs and alcohol, I got sectioned under mental health. Right? So I've been clean for 12 years. So I've been in a psychiatric unit, you know, kind of, that was my rehab, being in a psychiatric unit. So I protect my mental health really well. Uh, and I protect it by the honesty of how I feel. And, uh, and it seems to resonate with other people. They resonate, they laugh, they get it, they're with you in it. You know, they understand, you know, yeah. kind of. And yeah. then they, they come and get around you and you can get around them. 
Uh, it's when you pretend that you're okay, that you've got real problems. I'm Sam Howes, and you have been listening to The Profile Podcast. Really hope you enjoyed that interview. There's loads more where that one came from. Over 200 interviews with different Christians from all walks of life available now on The Profile Podcast, and new ones coming each and every week. If you have been enjoying these interviews, we would so appreciate it if you could take just five seconds to give us a rating and a review wherever you found this podcast. It helps other people to discover the show. So why not do that now? Give us a rating and a review, and we'll see you next time.